Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Perhaps you are familiar with the vampire genre. Uh, Though based on some real events of a real defender of Christianity, Vlad the Impaler of Romania, the movie version of Count Dracula has really become an archetype for a kind of person who is definitely alive and well today. Yes, behind the fantasy lies an ever-present dark soul, someone who thinks nothing of using other people, of taking what they want, of moving through life like a hungry caterpillar, uh, tearing down and consuming but never building. Yes, the stories of caped and fanged bloodsuckers make for some pretty interesting movies, but it is real-life vampires that keep me up at night. What does such a vampire look like? What is their nature? They are a user. They manipulate. They steal life from the living to stay alive. They constantly impose and take everything for granted. Gratitude does not mark their character, but rather jealousy and envy instead. The real-life vampire is materially minded, someone whose life is all about taking from others. The vampire is so self-consumed that their only interests and passions are those that build them up or make them money or make them happy. And if we're honest, because we are all sinners, there is a vampire inside all of us trying to constantly figure out ways to get out. Indeed, the Christian's solution to vampirism is, um, well, you know, now that I'm sort of thinking about it, it's actually what they do in the movies. You know what you show a vampire, right, to make him go away? A cross, yes, indeed, a crucifix in particular. Uh, For the crucifix reveals something to the self-absorbed user who selfishly consumes their way through life. The cross shows utter selflessness, powerlessness, and sacrifice, something the worldly vampire has no interest in. And that is why the cross is seen as foolish by so many. And that is why the vampire recoils in terror. It is because the cross shows us the shed blood of Jesus willingly sacrificed for others, whereas the vampire feeds on the unwilling sacrifice of others. On the cross, you see utter selflessness, whereas the vampire is utterly selfish. On the cross, you see God acting so boldly that a response is demanded from all of us, whereas the vampire cannot be bothered to stop whatever they're doing and consider God's call on their life. Well, why all of this talk of vampires? Well, it was inspired by Paul's contrast of the foolish who perish 
uh, versus those who regard the cross as the power of God. Yes, that really is the difference between those who follow Jesus and those who do not. The Christian sees hope in the cross, in God becoming man and dying for our sins. The world sees nothing but a dead guy on a cross who accomplished nothing. It really is as stark as the difference between life and death. The cross, as Paul uses it here in 1 Corinthians, is really shorthand for the gospel, the whole account of Jesus and his life and death. A gospel that Paul, you see, does not seek to preach with eloquent wisdom. Paul is not interested in endless pontificating. He is saying that on the cross, that you can see in that one image who God is and what he has done for you. And why is Paul laser-focused on this question? Well, it's because there seems to be a conflict uh, at the church in Corinth. And he understands that unless the congregation unites around the gospel, the revealed gospel of God seen on the cross, well, then they will surely die. And the truth was that the church in Corinth was a train wreck. These are two of Paul's longest letters, and they are just full of one conflict after another. Uh, The members of this church seem like a very rowdy bunch. Uh, and some are committing grave sins. On top of that, there's this division that Paul alludes here at the beginning, uh, a division where people are equating their Christian faith with a a particular apostle. So they say, I am Paul's, or I am Apollos's. And he sees this as a great danger. He's trying to unite the community around the gospel. And certainly one of his goals is also to remove this personal nature of the ministry. I mean, how often do we see this today? I go to Blank's church, right? And they mention the pastor of the church. Don't ever say that, okay? You go to Christ church. It happens to be located at 1311 Holman or whatever, but he is, he is removing this personal connection to the ministry of Christ to these apostles, and he's saying this is our corporate reality, our corporate responsibility, No one Christian belongs to one apostle or pastor. We all belong to Christ because Christ was crucified for us, because Christ has not been divided, Paul says, and because we were baptized into the name of Christ. That is the name that Christ gave us to baptize in, Father, Son, and Spirit. And it isn't like the Corinthians didn't have other options, right? So this is all quite fragile. He's trying to keep these folks together. And Corinth itself was a port city. We learn later of this issue of meat sacrifice to idols, which basically means you can imagine walking down the street in Corinth on on all sides was a food hut where you could buy a a gyro or whatever, Uh, And uh, it was meat sacrificed to a demon, to a false god. And Paul, you know, I'm not going to go through that here, but he's dealing, you know, the point is it was a pagan city and people were dealing with pagan issues. These were no doubt many former pagans. 
And so there were lots of other options for these people to go to, just as in our own day. There are probably even far more options for anyone in our own city and state and country to go to. The cross, then, is the power of God to those who cling to it. And this is what Paul is trying to get all the Corinthians to see. Cling to the cross. This is the message that we proclaimed. Yes, it will be seen as foolish to those who want to remain in their sins, to those who insist on living by their own terms. Now, is that a basic idea? Uh, this idea that we are embracing something foolish according to the world? Is that an idea that has powerful implications for how we live and for how we promote and spread and share the gospel? You better believe it. Christians live and think foolishly. That is, do we live for self-aggrandizement? No. Is making money our highest aim? No. Are there times when we will be called on to sacrifice for others? Yes. Uh, do we cling to our virtue in public life uh, in spite of pressure to constantly compromise? Yes. Do we honor God's law even in the public square? Yes. One could go on and on. But for choosing to live a life that is not but defined by the acquisition of money or people or goods, we are living a life that many would call foolish. And if you are ever accused of such foolishness, please wear it like the badge of honor that it is. What about how we spread the gospel? Well, it sure relieves a lot of pressure right off the bat uh, to admit that our message is going to be heard as foolish. Imagine what a relief it is to know that you don't have to be a genius of astrophysics to explain the nature of the cosmos, or you don't have to understand all of the intricacies of post-Nicene Trinitarian theology. Uh, or the historical backdrop of the New Testament, which is considerable. But while Paul is no dummy, he understands that the gospel of salvation for sinners is the message, and that means that it is our message as well. Indeed, to be an effective evangelist, simply learning to ask a few good questions is a far better skill than learning how to orate on any particular topic for 30 minutes. Learning how to ask questions that puts the unbeliever in a position to answer or reveal how much they know or do not know is an easy tactic to learn, and one that always keeps us from being on the defensive. The bottom line is that we are the proud possessors of a foolish gospel. And all people have instant access to this gospel because it is less about knowledge and more about your relationship to the cross. Do we hate it like a vampire because it reveals the goodness of God, a God willing to die for us, 
willing to sacrifice for us, willing to give himself for us while we desire to live on our own terms? Or do we love it? Because on that cross we see a Savior who has died for us, who makes this life comprehensible and joyful for us. Our mission is to bring people into a relationship with the cross. We hope they love it, but we should expect that some will hate it. But for those who love it, they know that it is the power of God, the God who saves, the God who serves, the God who judges, and the God who loves. Amen.